So you guys, remember, we've been looking over these last few weeks at the reality. Just in the past couple weeks, we saw that Paul said, man, I like, I am willing to go to hell. I would be willing to do that if it meant that all of the Jews would come to Christ. Like that was how much his heart broke for his own people, that he would rather go to hell if it meant that all of Israel would experience heaven. And Paul knows he can't do that. But I love Paul's heart, right? We need to have the same heart, you guys. A heart that says like, dang, I, I want people in my family. I want my coworkers. I want everyone around me. I want the person that I'm, that's checking me out at Market Basket. Checking me out. Like, check, check, check. You get it. <laughs> but you guys, the fact is, is that that's the point, man. Whoever is in our purview in that moment, you guys, our hearts should desire that they would know Jesus because that's what matters. That is really what matters. And you guys, he knew that they need to come to God, that, that every human must come to God through faith. That's the hope. That's the plan. That's God's heart. That's his will for us, right? He says, I wish that all would come to me, but it's still our choice. And how are they going to come? And we've looked at this. He talked about this idea that we can't just come to God in, in our heads. We can't just be like, oh, yeah, I believe that Jesus was a real human being. Well, good for you. That's a fact, right? That'd be like you being like, I'm pretty sure George Washington was a real guy. If you think he wasn't, you're weird <laughs> and wrong, <laughs> right? Like that's a fact, you guys, but let's take it a step deeper because Jesus is the only person that said, literally, I am fully man and fully God. Like I'm the one, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He made statements that have to be dealt with, right? And we saw that the, the debate that Paul was in to have this, to kind of answer this question. And that's where we were at in chapter nine of him saying, if all of this is true, and if God sent the Messiah through his chosen people, Israel, and, and if God did all this, then why are so many Jews missing it? Why have so many Jews totally and entirely missed it? And it's the same question that we're asking ourselves today, and not just for the Jews, but for people around us. Why don't they get it? What is it? And we saw his conclusion was this, is that because many people today, and specifically in this time, he looked at the Jews and he said, many of them are still looking to the law, thinking that they're going to be good enough, thinking that they're going to get it figured out enough, that they're going to follow the law faithfully enough that when they get to heaven and they're not going to need anybody or anything to get them into heaven because they've got it. They figured it out. These are really familiar things to us, aren't they? Don't we hear this all the time? You guys, I was just having a conversation with somebody. Um, I don't even remember where I was. I fall into random conversations with a lot of people about about Christ, and, it, and I love that, right? That's, it's cool. So the cool thing is, though, is that you get to talk to these people, and a lot, a lot of times, oh, I know what it was. I was helping somebody out with some gas. Perfect conversation, right? So they're stuck in my car. They can't roll out of the car. I'm doing 40 miles an hour. They can't get away. And so I'm driving down the road, and I'm like, man, so what do you think about Jesus, man? Like, what about this guy Jesus, you know? And he was just like, oh, I, I don't know, man. I don't think it really matters. I think it, it's whatever, you know? And I'm like, oh, I, I totally disagree, you know? And I was like, I think Jesus is it, man. That's like, this is, this is, he's my ride or die. Like he's the guy that I'm with for the rest of my existence here because I think he equals eternal life. And I was telling him that and he was like, well, I think I'm going to be pretty good. So when I get up, when I get up to the man upstairs, I'm going to be good. And I'm like, well, I don't think that. And I, I gave him John 14, six and I wasn't being confrontational. I hope you guys hear me on this, but the point is you guys, so many people think they're good enough on their own. So many people think they're going to stand before a perfect, holy God 
and that their works are going to somehow stack up. And I don't think that, that they have a clear understanding of just how perfect and holy God is. What's holy mean, you guys? Set apart. You are completely other. You're completely different, God. Not one of our good works, you guys. Mother Teresa isn't in heaven because of her good works. And I promise you, she's probably a million times better than all of us combined. Right? But she's not in heaven because of her good works. She's in heaven because I do believe she knew Jesus Christ. Right? And today we're jumping into chapter 10. We're out of chapter 9. We've, we've you know, probably brought more confusion than answers to the questions that we were asking in chapter 9. But here we are in chapter 10. And I love chapter 10, you guys. Chapter 10 is like, it's the punch in the face. It's, it's the most amazing, to me, one of the most amazing chapters in all of the Bible. I love the book of Romans. Chapter 10 is just this one and chapter 12. Woo! Yes! Dude, it's good. We're going to keep looking at the state of the Jewish people. And we're going to read, you guys, in this chapter, one of the clearest gospel messages in all of the Bible. It is so clean and so clear. As I was studying it, I was telling people, I'm like, man, this teaches itself. It literally does. It's amazing. And I needed that coming out of chapter nine. <laughs> so you guys, there's a lot here to chew on. And uh, I actually had the whole chapter prepared and everything and, and got done. And I, I do my little note thing from one note and I move it over to a PDF and kind of gauge my page count on how long that's going to take. And, and anywhere between nine and 12 pages is like around 45 to an hour, right? This was 15 pages. So I cut it in half. You can thank me later. All right. <laughs> so here we go, you guys. Verse 1 of chapter 10 says this. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, bring, they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. I'm going to read verse 4 again. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. You guys, Paul, again, speaks to this idea that, man, he wishes that the Jews would come to Jesus and I want to say it again, this should be our heart, you guys, that people would come to Jesus around us. Man, I love the Philadelphia Eagles, but I can tell you this, it holds no weight in my heart in comparison to a lost soul. Do you understand? It really doesn't. But here's my, here's my little challenge to a lot of us. I think there are things in this world, you guys, that do hold more weight sometimes. Our own pride our fear of being embarrassed, our fear of not having the right answer. And so that's one of the reasons and some of the reasons that many Christians don't go out and tell people about Jesus. You guys, we shouldn't be that way. Can I just say we are surrounded by people that are literally the walking dead. Yes, I will keep with the zombie analogies. They're walking dead, you guys. They are walking around, but they're dead in the spirit. They don't know the Holy Spirit. They have nothing going on inside of them. Their life, you guys, is as vain, as vapid, and vapid as what's here. And I'll be honest with you. If the Philadelphia Eagles are the best this world has to offer, like, that's okay, but it's not great. Right? If a nice brand new car is the best this world has to offer, what's that? 
it rusts out and goes away. If a really, really amazing home is the best this world has to offer, well, that stinks because you got to clean it. Do you get what I'm saying, you guys? There's nothing in this world that holds a candle to eternal life. There's nothing in this world that is more important or better. Fame is garbage, and ask any famous person. And I've had my privilege of knowing a small handful of people that have tasted some levels of fame, either in music or in the movie industry, and I'm talking very small levels of fame, right? But can I tell you something? They've met the really famous people, and they're just as weak and anemic, and they've all walked away from that. Everyone I've known now doesn't do any of that. They've walked away from it. Why? Because it doesn't hold a candle to what they really think it's going to hold. What holds a candle? Our walk with the Lord. It's the most vital and important thing. And yet so often, guys, as Christians, we still keep chasing the other stuff. And we, we minimize and, and don't take the time here to chase the thing that's the most important. We are surrounded by the walking dead. And I can tell you, they don't know Jesus. And this is as best as it's going to get for them unless we tell them about Jesus. And this should break our hearts. And it should push us to go into the world and tell people about Jesus and live a life that leads to discussions about Jesus. But Paul makes it clear, you guys, why many of these Jews were not saved. And I want us to hear this. You see in verse two, he says, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. What's he saying? He's like, listen, I'll be the first to tell you that the Jews are zealous. And remember, this is coming from the Pharisee of Pharisees, the one that was probably more zealous than all of them. And yet he's saying like a pat on the back, you are very zealous for God. But what does he say? It's without knowledge. What does that mean, you guys? Think about this. They were zealous for God without knowledge. That word knowledge there, there's two different words for knowledge in Greek. The one that is spoken of here is ginosko. Ginosko. It's actually where we get, it's the root word for what we call Gnosticism, which is this deep, hidden, inner, spiritual, special knowledge, which was a heresy, right? The Gnostics. That's what we hear Paul and, and a couple, and John and a bunch of other people teaching against later in the letters. But the reality is, Ginosko at its root, you guys, means this. It's a difference between this. Two plus two equals four. That is not what we're talking about. Does that hit you deep? Are you like, oh, my life is just utterly changed? If you're a carpenter, maybe that's true, right? You're like, I need to know that four inches is how long I'm cutting. No, you get my point? That doesn't hit us. Why? Because it's just not pure knowledge. That's the other Greek word, just knowledge, head knowledge. Knowledge that doesn't impact your life. Knowledge that has no real life, like giving information. It's just information. It's stuff. It's good to know. It maybe even is vital to know, right? We all need to know. If you're here in school and two plus two and you don't know that equals four yet, you better get to know it. You'll see it on a lot of tests and it makes a difference in your life, but it doesn't impact your life. Ginosko, you guys, is something you know in your minds. I know my family loves me. I can't quantify it, but I can tell you I know it. And I know it deeper than you'll ever understand unless you know your family loves you too. Then you know what I'm talking about. And that knowledge can't be quantified. But do you understand? That's Ginosko, you guys. That's Ginosko. And so what's, what's Paul saying, you guys? He's saying they have knowledge, or they have zeal, I'm sorry, but they have it without the knowledge. They're chasing hard after God. They want to know him up here. If you look at the Jews today, you guys, they know Torah. They study Torah. They're just all about it, man. They get in it. 
right? I'm talking about Hasidic Jews. If you understand or you've been around that culture at all, they know. They probably know the Old Testament better than you ever will. And yet they know it, but they don't know it. Many of them, right? It just doesn't, doesn't sink any deeper than that. They think that that, and can I just tell you guys, there are a lot of Christians today that know it, but don't know it, right? Paul is not saying that they were not aware of God. Do you understand that? Paul's not here arguing and saying they need to know who God is because they have no idea who God is. No, they knew God better than all the Gentiles. They knew God up here when I say that, right? They got a head knowledge of who God was more than all of the rest of the societies combined at that point in history. Can I say something? I'd still say it's true for many Jews, not all Jews, but like the really deep, deeply ritualistic and, and like the Hasidic Jews, the really Orthodox Jews, that's the word I'm looking for. Orthodox Jews, you guys, still very much want to know God, but they just are not willing to step past the knowledge of God here, the law, just up in their heads. They have head knowledge of God, but they don't want to know God deeper, or they just, for whatever reason, don't. I need us to hear this, you guys. It's not the point. If you're here to gain some knowledge about the Bible, you're missing the point. If you're here because you want to be smarter so you can go argue with people out in the world about how much you know, you're wrong. It's not the point. That is not the point of God's word. It's not the point of the whole exercise of coming to church, you guys. The point is to get to know God. God wants to be known, and he wants to be known, you guys, as we know our children and as we know our family and our spouses. That's how he wants to be known. There's a reason that the marriage analogy is used all throughout Scripture as what it is to be a Christian. We are the bride of Christ. Think about the depth of that, you guys. If you're here today and you're married, understand, think about how you know your spouse. If you're here today and you have a brother or a sister, or a mom or a dad. I think I covered everybody in the room, right? Think about how you know them. Think about it. I didn't need my mom. Listen, there were some things that I knew. If I heard my middle name in a sentence, I knew. <laughs> I knew. I was in big trouble. <laughs> And listen, I'll tell you this, even though my mom was blind, you do not run away from a blind woman. She, will, she would tell us this, that she would go and um, she, she said, you always do sleep at some point. <laughs> so we only ran away once. And then we woke up in the middle of the night and she was like, I got it! No, I'm kidding. It wasn't like, it kind of was that way, but not really. I'm not going to lie. It was that way. It was terrifying. <laughs> I, I, I didn't want to throw my mom under the bus. Mom, if you're watching, sorry. It's the truth and you know it. You know it. <laughs> you guys, God wants to be known like that. But can I say this? He wants to be known even deeper than that. He wants us to know him. He wants us to like just digest every little bit of what we can understand of who he is. And he has not hidden himself. We have 66 books here. 66 individual books that make up this tome called the Bible. He has poured himself out into the pages that we can know him. You guys, we, the church, are opportunities and ways that we can know God. 
when we're walking in the Spirit. We can also know Satan. That one's easy. (laughs) Right? Come on, man. That's true. Because too often we act like that instead of the other way, right? But even in that, we get to show other people who Christ is by being gracious and merciful to other people when they hurt us, even in the church, right? We get to walk that out, you guys. That's the point. That's what he wants. That's what he desires. And so Paul here is saying, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And you guys, I got to say in society today, in and out of the church, we have people that say they know God. And here's what they mean. They're deists. At best, they're deists. What does that mean? Do you know what a deist is? It means they know that they're not the creator. They know that there's something above them. They know that we didn't just come out of the primordial ooze. To me, there's a level of arrogance that knows no bounds to assume that, to be honest. If you're here today and you believe that, I really don't understand how. We are way too intricate and complicated. This earth is way too intricate and complicated. This universe is beyond comparison. We can't even begin to get our head around the idea of, black, of dark matter and chaos theory and all the stuff that explains or our, our very anemic explanation of what the universe is. I think we have a creator. I don't think, that's a, I don't think it's really up for debate. I think it's obvious, right? So I believe that too. And so I'm, I agree with the deists. Yes, I agree. You are not the creator. Good. But I don't think that's where it ends. And I think that's where the Jews were ending. They got that they had a creator. And I want us to think about this. What do we hear out in the world? And I need to Think about it. I hear it all the time on the news. I hear it from very famous people. I hear it from people I talk to at Market Basket. I hear it from everywhere. I hear this. They don't even want to put a name to him. How often have you heard, we need to treat Mother Earth better? Right? The spirit in the sky. Right? Have you heard that one? There's a song about it too. The unknowable one, I've actually heard that one recently when I was talking with someone. The unknowable one, I'm like, man, you are a lot closer than than you think, right? He is knowable, but yet he's so big, we're never going to know him completely. But in the church, you guys, can I say this? And I need you to think about this. And and if you're a person that uses this phrase, I got to ask you, like, what's up with what's up with that, man? Church and people, a church people. I've heard plenty of times say like, oh, I'm good with the big man upstairs. And I get that it's kind of a joke, but the sad part is, is I think for too often when I hear that, I think that's the level of knowledge they have of who God is, the big man upstairs. And yet they come to church, and so they're like, I'm good. I'm good with the big man. Really? You guys, I think we can name God. His name is Yahweh. That's what the Bible tells us. I think Jesus is God in flesh, his son. He came down onto the earth, died and rose again. He's knowable. He walked the earth. He's someone that we can know deeply, and he wants to be known. He has not hid himself. Last thing I've heard in and out of the church is this. You know, I think my religion has me all set. You guys ever heard that in and out of the church? I've had plenty of people say that. Like, I'm all set. I'm all set. My religion's, I'm good. I've got enough religion. I'm all set. And that that can mean I've got enough religion, meaning I have none, and I don't want to hear it. I'm all set. 
But I have heard people in the church say, like, I come to church, I tithe, I do my thing, and so I'm all set. I've got my enough religion, then I'm all set. And again, I have to ask if that's you here today, or if you've ever heard anything like that, I would encourage you to challenge someone like that and say, really? Is that what you think? Because to me, you guys, God is like this never-ending depth of pool that I will never dive to the bottom of, but I promise you this, I want to get better and better and better and better at holding my breath to dive deeper. Right? That's my whole life. I will never know God completely, but I never want to stop learning who he is. I, I want to know him more. I want to just have him in my life more. I want his life to come out of me more. I want all those things, church. And if we're doing that, if we're living that, I promise you there is no possible way that you will not begin to see impact outside of your own life because it's not just about you. It's never been about you. It's always been about God's kingdom growing. And as it's growing in you, it will grow out of you. Verse 5. It says, For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from above, or who will ascend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is, the word of faith, which we preach. So now we get into the nitty-gritty, you guys. The main point for all of humanity is this. To the Jews before Jesus, you need to hear this, Moses said that the best they could do the old covenant's way was this. Do your best before the law and sacrifice animals to make up for your shortfalls. So in other words, do your very best to walk in righteousness, in the righteousness of God. Follow the law to the best of your ability. But when you fail, and, and you will, it, right? It wasn't if, it was when. You go to the temple and you spill the blood of a spotless lamb. There had to be blood. There had to be this, this visceral thing happening in order to atone for the sins of individuals. Why? Do you guys ever think about that? Well, two reasons. Number one, because that's what God said. I mean, that's the easy answer. He gets to pick the, the way of the way this works. But do you know why I really think it is? And why, what I see biblically is this, is that you guys... The idea of you, and I need you to understand something. This wasn't the pastor's job to go do that. This wasn't the priest that did that. The priest went, prepared it all, but do you know what actually happened? You laid your hand. You laid your hand on the head of that animal. You slit the throat of that animal. You kept your hand there and just poured out all the things that you knew you did, and you asked God to forgive you for the things you didn't know. That was actually another sacrifice that you had to do for the things that you didn't even know you did right? But you did all that and you felt the life leave that body and you watched the blood splatter everywhere and you got stuff on your feet and you had to deal with all that stuff. And then the priest did and went and prepared the sacrifice. But I need us to hear that. Why? Because guys, your sin is gross. My sin is disgusting before the Lord. It's not good. It's by his grace and mercy that he even gave the Old Testament Jews the option to come clean before him. He didn't have to do that. Do you understand? 
He didn't have to. He chose to. Just like then in the new covenant, you guys, the New Testament, what did he do? He sent his spotless lamb, himself, living a perfect life, dying for our sins and rising again. You guys, he did it once and for all. We're done. We don't have to go and slit the throat of animals. But can I just say this, you guys, Christians, we need to hear this though too. It was just as bloody and gory and visceral, and I would say more so, in that instance, as it was to consistently have to slaughter animals. Does that make sense? So Paul's saying, look, in the Old Testament, the old way the Jews were before Jesus, they were walking in their own righteousness. They were doing their best to try to walk it out, right? And he doesn't, Paul's not here getting on them and saying that they were wrong to do it that way because that was actually the way God gave them. But what was the whole point of all of the prophets? Do you guys understand what I'm getting at? If you read, has anybody read much of the New Testament? Well, if you don't, comes to Wednesday nights, we do the Old Testament. So here's the deal, you guys. The whole way it was from Abraham, from Moses, when the law got handed down specifically in Mo- to Moses, which we're in Exodus right now, all of that was laid out, and they followed that to the best of their ability. That was the way they had to God in that moment. They were not wrong to do that. But here's the thing. When you start reading a lot of the prophets, specifically Isaiah, but many of the prophets, they start speaking of this coming Messiah and this one that's going to come and is going to wipe away all of the need for this and is going to make everything different and everything new. And he's saying here, Paul is saying that, yes, that's the way it was. But he's saying it's not the way it is now. And that's what he's getting at here. He's trying to say, like, this is the current state of the Jews. They are not walking in faith with the Lord. They've, they've missed it. They've gotten so wrapped up in the Old Testament way and in doing the good thing and in making their own way that they literally have lost the way. They've lost it. They've, they've gone a different way. And so he doesn't just say... He doesn't just say through these Jews that like, oh, well, it's not possible. It's not possible because we can't get to heaven on our own or we can't get to hell or we can't do anything. All of that is far beyond us. Do you guys understand? So what's he saying? Let's read it. It says, but the righteousness of faith speaks, I'm sorry. Yeah, righteousness of faith speaks this way, verse six. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. This is to bring Christ down from above or who will ascend or descend into the abyss that or to bring Christ up from the dead. What's he getting at, you guys? He's saying this. Your goodness or your failures aren't gonna go down into hell and bring Jesus up out when he was down there. You're not gonna go up into heaven and bring Jesus down to your level. Nothing you do, you're not God. That's essentially what he's trying to get at. And he's saying that's kind of where the Jews feel like they are. Like they are gonna get there on their own. That is how many people feel today. They're gonna get there on their own. They feel like they're gonna do whatever they're gonna do. We've heard this phrase a lot, I'm sure, or at least I did in my days of, you know, I'm going to be in hell with all my friends partying. No, you're not. You're not. And if you actually think you're that powerful and good, like you don't get it, right? So we have this situation going on, you guys. And so Paul here in verse five through eight is expounding upon Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 14. Flip back over there with me. Book of Deuteronomy. Going to get some Old Testament, y'all.
Why was he doing this? I need to, maybe I'm not being clear here, but I got to say this. What was he saying through all of these sections? He's expounding upon these verses because his argument here is that the Jews essentially were saying, we know the law and we know how to be good. And that's got to be the way to heaven. And they, were, they could not step one step further into this step of faith to say, I trust that Jesus did it all for me. And that's what he's saying to us. He's saying, look, God is not far from us. He's closer to us than we'll ever know. And the way that the Jews were choosing to get there was through the law, and it wasn't going to work. They're not capable of getting there. We are not capable of getting there. So let's read Deuteronomy chapter 30. Verse 11 says this. For this commandment, which I command you today, is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you shall say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. This is in Deuteronomy, you guys. Moses wrote this. Do you understand where Paul's trying to pull that up now? And he's saying, what's the point? The point is this. The gospel message is easy to understand. And it is more attainable for all of humanity than anything. Do you think you can follow 613 laws? Did you follow the law of the speed limit on the way here? (laughs) Right? We break the laws all the time. We do. We can't get there. We just can't. But the but the this gospel message, gospel good news message, you guys, is easily attainable. It is the most easily attainable thing in the world, but it can only be attained through faith. You cannot put your hands around it. Two plus two equals four. Is simple because we know it, but we still had to learn it. But can I say something? This isn't two plus two equals four. This is something deeper than that, but it is easier than two plus two equals four if you accept it in faith. Does that make sense? You guys, you can't work for it. You can't be smart enough to get there. There's no way to achieve eternal life, it can only be received. You guys, this is a very difficult thing for Jews to accept and understand, and it remains very, very difficult for many people today to accept and understand. Because why? Here's how it works. You have to admit, first and foremost, that you are screwed up, that you're messed up. Sometimes that's a bridge too far for a lot of people. Sometimes that's a bridge too far for the, the, the self-righteous Jew that would look at our lives as, as Protestant Christians and say, you guys don't even have the first clue what it looks like to live righteously. And they might be right. They might be right. We don't have the tassels on our things. We don't have tassels on our garments. We don't, we're wearing multi-blended things. We've got all sorts of things messed up according to a Jew, right? Like we're not kosher. I like bloody, rare meat, right? I like bacon. 
Do you get my point? I'm not dogging anybody out. I'm saying to a Jew, they're like, you are messed up. You are messed up. And I say the same to them. You are messed up because you're missing the point, right? Like you're missing the point. You can live this self-righteous, really righteous life and it will get you nowhere because your righteousness, what does the Bible tell us? Is like filthy rags. What is the Greek there? Do you understand? It's like used toilet paper. It's like the grossest thing. And what do you do with used toilet paper after you wipe? You throw it in the toilet to flush it away, to get rid of it, because nobody wants that. That's your good works. That's your righteousness in comparison to God's holiness. So guys, it is so simple and yet so very, very difficult for some because too many people won't submit to the direction that God's given them to go. Why? Because of pride, arrogance, shame over their past or their present despair over their situation. And I need you to hear this. If this is you here today, if you're watching this online, if you're listening to this later, he died for you. He died for you. And he knew your whole life. He knew it. He knew all of the junk and and garbage and things that you would go through in your past. He knew the stupid things you were going to do. He knows the stupid things you have yet to do. And yet he still died for you. You guys, it requires this. It requires a stepping out in faith. That's, that is the bridge, I think, that people are too afraid a lot of times to step over. I was just talking to a person, and I'm hoping and praying that she comes back Today, she was here last week, and she just was like not ready to accept Christ. And here was her big thing, and I get it. And I'm pretty sure all of you guys will get it. She's like, I don't know that I believe yet. And I appreciated the honest answer. We don't jump, right? What does Jesus say? Count the cost. Know what you're jumping into. But the interesting part is, is that they're like, it's just words on a page to me. Have you ever heard that when people are talking about the Bible? Like, I tried the Bible. I tried to read the Bible. If you read the Bible, you guys, without faith, without the Holy Spirit illuminating it to you, can I just tell you, you're probably not going to get a ton out of it. You may. God can do that for sure. I'm not acting like he can't. But I'm saying overall, typically, people don't get a ton out of it because why? They're reading for this. They're not reading for this. If you're reading for this, I promise you God will enlighten it. But if you're reading for this, that's all you're going to get. And you're going to walk away and be like, I should have just read Dr. Seuss. Because that's essentially what you're trying to do. Right? No. You've got to step out in faith. There's got to be a measure of faith. Faith is that thing. Trusting in something that you don't know, that you can't see, that you can't tangibly grab hold of. And yet, when we step out in faith, and for all of us here that are believers, we know this to be true. You can only know what you know when you know it. Is that true? It's a true statement. You guys, I know in my own life that when I stepped out in faith, it blew my whole world up in good and bad ways. God worked it all for good, but I'm not going to sit up here and lie to you guys. He blew it up in good and bad ways, in great ways. My life was beginning to be transformed. I had to go to my girlfriend and tell her we're not going to have sex no more. She didn't like that, right? I had to go to my parents and tell them, and they thought I was in a cult. 
There was all sorts of bad things that I saw in my life, but overarchingly, you guys, God worked all of that for good. My mom and dad came to the Lord, right? I found a much better person to be married to than that girl that I was dating back then, right? You guys, God works all things together for good, but when we accept Christ, there's this thing that happens and it blows our world up. Am I alone here? It blows our world up. You guys, it changes things in our lives. It changes and it should continue to just keep changing us. And as we're changed, things around us are going to be blown up for the good and the bad. That doesn't change. Or I guess it does change. I don't know. Right? But the really truth is here, you guys, is that there's a freedom that we can only experience when we step out in faith. It's, this is what I kind of explain it as to people. When people say like, well, I don't know if I'm ready to accept Christ. That's awesome. No, I get it. It's fine. I get it. But here's what I kind of think like. Coming to Christ to me is like this. It's like trying to tell someone that's never been on a roller coaster what a roller coaster feels like. Because that's pretty much how I equate my life with Christ. It's sort of like a roller coaster. Most of the really sharp hills that start out kind of fun but turn into terror were my own doing. And God's like, I didn't have a hill for you there, but okay, fine, let's take that hill, right? <laughs> that happens from time to time where I'm like, ah! And then I get to the bottom because God rescues me, and I'm like, okay, we're good, <laughs> right? That's life, but you cannot explain that to someone that's never had it. You can't do that. They can hear people screaming as they fly by on a roller coaster. They can see the roller coaster going backwards through the loops and doing all that stuff, but you cannot physically explain what it feels like to go over a loop on a roller coaster or to go all the way through a roller coaster and then go through it all backwards. You cannot explain any of those things. You can't explain the roller coaster that I got to go on that was like spring-loaded. It was called Superman. And what it feels like to be in mid-sentence because you like to talk so much so that when it launched forward, you had no air left in your lungs. And so then you're like, and you're about ready to pass out by the time you hit the hill that gave your breath back. You can't explain any of that thing, any of that stuff to somebody. You can't. You've got to feel it. You've got to experience it on your own. You guys, that is coming to Christ. You cannot push people to understand something that they cannot understand unless they do it themselves. My prayer is that if you're here today and you're not on the roller coaster of salvation, that you get on it because it is the coolest, most amazing, most adventurous ride you will ever ride in your whole life. And once you get on, you don't get off. It's awesome and terrifying and amazing and all those things combined. And I would not trade that for the world, but I cannot force anyone to get on a roller coaster that they don't want to get on. You can't, right? But the truth is, you guys, is that the reality is, is man, we get to be in this. We get to do this. And I need us to hear this, this word of faith, this, this righteousness of faith speaks in this way. And what does it speak? It says this, basically, come and join, come and see, come and be a part of what's happening. Understand that you will not understand what it's like until you get and join this band of freaks that is the roller coaster, that is the church and jump in and you'll be like, yes, you'll love it. But until then, you won't understand it. You'll be on the outside watching the band of freaks ride around. Right? And yeah, I did call you a band of freaks. 
Verse 9. says this, you guys. It's kind of coming off of verse eight, right? It says, that is the word of faith which we preach. What is that word? It's this, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on him, on the name of the Lord, shall be saved. So Paul clears up the how. So we talked about the idea of getting on the roller coaster. We talked about the idea of this thing that you've got to basically have the ticket of faith to get on. Like there's got to be some entry, and the entry is faith. Faith in the work that's already been done. You don't get there on your own. You need faith. Your works aren't going to get you. You're never going to earn enough tokens from playing enough skee-ball to get on. No, you need the ticket of faith to get onto the ride. That's the only way on. It's the only way into salvation. It's the only way to eternal life. But how do we do that? How do we get up the little ramp and give the ticket to get on the ride? How does that work? This is how it works, you guys. You confess that you're a screwed up sinner like every other human. I need you to hear that. Too many people are like, well, I'm not that bad. Yes, you are. Yep. Well, you're worse than me. Probably true, but you're still pretty messed up yourself. Right? I usually start with that whenever I'm talking to people about Jesus. I'm like, so yeah, like first thing you got to kind of recognize is that you're pretty jacked up. And you're like, well, you don't know me. No, I don't, but I know me. I'm pretty jacked up. (laughs) I bet you are too because you're human, right? That's truth, man. We've got to humble ourselves enough to recognize that we're not all that in a bag of chips. We're just not. And you, don't, you, can't, you can't get the ticket without admitting who you are. And I need us to hear this, you guys, because again, let's think about this church. Why do we spend so much time? Why do so many people in church spend so much time trying to look outwardly like they've got it all figured out and that they're all together and that they're so perfect and prim and proper, but then somehow wonder why they have no opportunity to go evangelize? Do you ever think about that? Be who you are and trust that God is going to clean you up in the process. I mean that. Be who you are and trust that God's going to clean you up in the process. Don't revel in who you are. Revel in what God's making you. Right? I want to be a church that's real and raw and doesn't have plastic pieces because I don't think plastic gets us anywhere. Well, that's It's not 100% true. You can get yourself in a lot of debt with plastic, but you get my point. Wearing plastic on your body might keep water and stains and everything off of you, but it also leaves nobody into who you really are. Take it all off and be who you really are. And don't revel in where you are. Don't be like, well, this is just who I am. No, you are, if you are a son or a daughter of Christ. No, this isn't who you are. You know when we're going to see who you are? When you're going to see who I really am? In heaven. So I revel in the fact that God is working on me. And I don't ever say, like, this is just who I am. I say, man, I am so sorry that this is who I am. (laughs) Please forgive me. He's working on me, I promise. Do you hear the difference? Man, what's he say, you guys? Confess your screwed up sinner. Believe in your heart that Jesus actually is who he says he is. Born of a virgin, lived a perfect life died for all of humanity's sin, rose again, proving everything that he had said all the way through, 
so many times in the Gospels. If, if anyone reads anything, I would encourage you to always point people to the Gospels. The Gospel of John's great. If you've got a really ADHD person, the Gospel of Matt, Mark is a perfect fit, right? Mark, dude, I think he had ADHD. I have no idea. But you guys, he either did all of it and he is the Lord or he's a liar and a lunatic. Those are your only two choices. And I need you to hear this. The word believe here, when he says confess with your mouth that Jesus, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised, that word believe, I need you to hear this. It speaks in the Greek of desperation and trust. It's like a desperate trust. And when I say desperate, I can't even begin to get my head around what that really, the depth of that meaning. So I was thinking about this. We're rewatching the show Lost, if you guys remember that show. And just the idea of being stranded on an island and then, and then being out and there's just this endless ocean. You don't see any land around, right? So here was my thought whenever I was thinking about this and I was praying through this section of scripture. Here's what it's like. If Jesus was that one life-saving ring and you were in the middle of the ocean with no land in sight, you couldn't see any land anywhere, anywhere. And the only thing that was floating around you was this one life-saving ring right? Like those little lifesaver rings that they throw. I think this, you would believe that it was buoyant. What do I mean by that? You would desperately trust that that thing is buoyant. You would, you would hang on to it. You would trust that as long as you hold on to it, you would not go down. You would not go under. The analogy breaks down because the, let's, not, let's act like there's no wildlife in the <laughs> ocean or anything there that could hurt you. I'm just saying, if you were just in a body of water where there was no land anywhere, what are you going to hold on to? You're going to hold on to it and you're going to believe it. You're going to trust it. You're going to just put all of your weight upon it. And you're going you're gonna to just hold on to it for dear life, wouldn't you? That's what the word believe means here. Believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. Believe. You guys, do you see the drastic difference that Paul's kind of drawing here between this rule following that the Jews were doing to gain heaven and this desperate trust in this perfect God-man that died on the cross and rose again that you're, you're putting faith in and saying, I am holding all of my weight upon you. This is all I've got. When I say he's my ride or die, ride or die is this new like kind of catchy phrase. Probably not, I'm 47. So maybe that was catchy phrase five years ago. I have no idea. But it's my new catchy phrase. Here's what it means though, and this is why I love it. Ride or die. I'm either in the car with Jesus or I'm dead. I will stay in the car. And if I'm wrong, I'm okay with that because I know this, I gave everything to him, but I don't think I am. I really don't. I am desperately, desperately, desperately trusting that he is right. And I, I just believe it. And through all of that, you guys, again, that faith thing, I get to experience a roller coaster ride that does nothing else than to just continue to prove in my own heart that it is real and it is right. And I say that without any shame or, or anything. I have no fear or problem telling anybody about Jesus. Why? Because he is this deeply true to me. It's what we see, you guys, this Jewish faith. It's what we see today, this, this rule-following faith. 
How many churches do you hear that are more worried about the rules of how you're dressed, how you speak, how you act, instead of them actually saying, let's all get together and try to learn who Jesus is and follow him. You guys, they miss out on that. They miss out on trying to follow Jesus. They miss out on the freedom of grace and walking and what the adventure looks like. I want to say this, you guys. If you're here today and you're visiting or you're listening online or you've never been here, whatever, here's the deal. At GBC, this is my heart for us as a church. These are the rules. You ready? How do you dress? Wear clothes. Don't come in naked, please, for everyone's sake, right? But I don't care what you wear. None of us here care. If you want to wrap yourself in a toga and say, I'm like Jesus, cool, man. I mean, that's a little weird, but do it. I don't care. How do you speak? Here's the goal. Here's the rule. Build one another up. That's what the Bible tells us. Be edifying in your speech. Don't tear each other down in your speech. Right? That's going to cut out the mass majority of cuss words. Right? Cuss words aren't necessarily edifying. Sitting here arguing with myself in my head because I'm like, I guess you could use some words in an edifying way, but, but let's not. But the point I'm making is... <laughs> We build one another up, but here's the other part of this, you guys. How do you speak? You build one another up and you extend grace whenever someone's not speaking that way. You be gracious and you build them up. How do you act? You shine Christ. As much as you can, you shine Christ. You live the life that you feel like the Holy Spirit's leading you to lead, which is going to always be towards looking more like Jesus and less like us. But you also know that we're all works in progress and that we're going to screw things up along the way, right? You guys, I think that if we're a church that's like that, and I believe that we are overarchingly very much a church like that. I want to stay a church like that. Do you know why? Because there are far too many examples in this world today and specifically here in America, and I don't even know. I know at least of a few here in Seacoast that I feel probably are leaning more the other way than they are this way. But I think the more churches begin to truly look like the first century church and say, we are a bunch of jacked up individuals that have found the one way to heaven, and that is Jesus Christ. And we want to know him more, and we're going to work it out, and we're not going to do it right. We're not going to do it perfectly, but we're going to do our darndest to try to do it right. And we're going to do our best to try to be like Jesus. And I think if we are like that, you guys, God will use it. And he does use it. And he has used it. And he wants to continue to use it. Verse 14. Finishing up, y'all. Aren't you glad I cut it in half? It says, how then shall they call on him? in whom they do not, have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who brings glad tidings of good things. You guys, now we see Paul beginning to ask a handful of rhetorical questions, which is kind of like the method that he's been in all along, right? He's asking these questions and getting answers. So his first question is this. If the Jews and others don't believe, and by believe, remember, we're talking about submitting and trusting with desperation that Jesus is going to save them, then how are they going to call on God? Good question. It's a vital question. Those that don't believe, did you ever think about this? Who are people talking to on Facebook whenever they say, like, I need your prayers? 
or when there are people that you know are agnostic or atheist or whatever, but yet they'll put on somebody that's going through a hard time, I'm sending out good vibes. Who are they talking to? Who, what, what does that mean when they speak words into the universe? It's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? It really is. If you don't believe in anything, why are you getting so hyper-spiritual? If you truly don't believe in anything you're actually saying, what's the word's worth? It's a challenge. It's a challenge to us as Christians too, because if we don't actually believe, if we say, hey, I'll pray for you, and we don't pray for him, what are we actually doing? It doesn't go all just one way, y'all. I've made a habit of this because I used to do that all the time. I'll pray for you, and then I'd forget, and I would legitimately forget, and I would use that as my excuse, but you know what I've started doing? I actually said this. We were down at a men's conference, and I got to speak to one of the pastors there, and he shared some things with me, and I, and I said, I just automatically out of, the, out of my mouth, I was like, I'll pray for you, and then I looked at him, and I'm like, I will do my best to remember to pray for you, and he looked at me, and he's like, thank you for being honest. I was like, I wish I could say I could pray. I'll just pray for you. And so I prayed for him right there because that's the other thing I do now is that I'm like, I'm too stupid. I'll forget. <laughs> Let me pray for you now, right? And Lord willing, he brings it upon and he does bring it back to my mind. So I do pray, right? And I pray for you guys all the time. I pray for the church. I pray for these things. But the reality is when it comes deep, deep down to it, you guys, we get and people out in the world get so hyper-spiritual and they don't actually believe or feel like any of their words have any real weight. Or if they did, they would actually want to research that and be like, what does it mean for me to throw words out into the universe? And what does it mean when I say that I'm going to throw good vibes? Am I a guitar? Do I resonate? I'm not trying to be silly. I'm actually trying to make a point here, you guys. If the world does it, church, we can do it too. Let's be real. Let's pray for people when we say we're going to pray for them. And can I just encourage you? A lot of us are too stupid to remember prayers the next morning after we've slept. So just stop where you are and pray for somebody. So Paul makes the point here, you guys. How are you ever going to know about Jesus? How is anyone out in this world going to know about Jesus? How are these Jews here in this context going to know about Jesus unless people that believe and know Jesus, know Jesus deep down here in their hearts, start telling them about him? Preaching, you guys, is not something that's limited to this pulpit on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night. We are all called to be preachers. Do you understand that? We might not all be ordained. There's a certain calling. Not talking about that. We are all called to go and preach the gospel. We are all called to go out into the world and tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. We are all called to make disciples. That requires a level of being involved in someone's life. We're called to be in that and do those things, you guys. It is not something that is only for one person. So Paul's saying, like, how is anyone going to know any of this unless people are willing to talk about it? We are called to be proclaimers and truth tellers into the darkness of this world. Proclaiming the good news speaking the truth. Church, we've gotten pretty good at speaking truth against homosexuality, speaking truth against homelessness, speaking truth against the person that is obviously so sinful and so beat down, and that's why they are where they are. Right? We've got good at holding signs up to say God hates fags. You guys, we need to be proclaimers of the good news first. Jesus. 
is the only thing that saved my sorry butt, and he's the only thing that will ever save yours. That starts. Usually that conversation leads to questions. Well, I'm this. Yeah, I'm pretty messed up too. I don't think it's a sin. Well, it is. It's a sin. I'm not going to not proclaim truth. I'm just not going to hammer the truth home in their heads without speaking the good news first. You guys were here today. And if you're here today and you're a Jesus follower, you are commanded to go and tell people about Jesus. It isn't just my job. It is our job, church. And it's not up to you. I need you to hear this. I've heard this a lot. People say like, well, I, I don't know. I tried that once. I tried to go tell people about Jesus once and this person didn't accept it. And so I don't know. I'm not very good at it. And Can I just clear this up for y'all? Your job is not to bring people into the kingdom. You cannot drop kick or force anyone onto the roller coaster. They've got to choose to get on it themselves. You are not that powerful or that strong. So let yourself off the hook. That's not your job. Your job is to tell people. Your job is to say, dude, this ride is insane. You want to get on, I promise. This ride, when it stops you, it's going to eternal life. This is going to be an amazing adventure, and I want you to be on it. I'm on it now. Jump on. That's all your job is. Your job is to tell people about who Jesus is and what he's done in your life, you guys, to proclaim the message of the gospel as many times and as much as the Holy Spirit gives you opportunity to do so. But hear me on this. It is not your job to save people. You cannot do that. You are not that powerful. I am not that powerful. Don't believe the lie of the enemy that says, well, they're too far gone. Who the heck do you think you are to think that? If you guys knew me at all, I ranked easily up into the too far gone category. I'm thankful for people that just spoke into my life anyway. Right? No one's too far gone. Ever. No one. No one is too sinful, you guys. How arrogant. No one is too far into anything. Drugs. A deviant lifestyle. Cross-dressing. They don't even know what sex they are anymore. Do you understand that God still wants to touch their lives and get them to heaven? Is God going to spend the rest of their lives working that out? Maybe. Is that your business? No. It's between you and them and the Lord. Bring, talk to them about who Jesus is, you guys. Love them enough. Let's pray. God... This message today, Lord, is just so rich and clear and I don't know, Lord, it feels so obvious. I pray, Lord, I didn't add any confusion to it. It's just so plain. God, would you, would you help us, Lord? Would you help us, God, as we, as a church, Lord, just seek to bring you fame and glory, Lord, in your name, Lord, just to be lifted up here in the seacoast, Lord, because we want to see a revival. God, we want to see change here. God, we want to see people just transformed by the gospel, God. And God, I don't know where each person in this church is. But Lord, I do have, I think, the general pulse of where we, your church, are generally. Lord God, and here in America, Father, I'm sorry. I I ask, Lord, and, and, and pray, Father, that we would not be a church that's more worried about our politics than we are about people. 
God, that we wouldn't be a church, Father, that is so concerned and just worried about what it would look like if so-and-so came and we were be embarrassed to invite so-and-so. Oh, God, I pray, Father, that our hearts would be broken of that garbage, of that utter nonsense. God, you are good. You loved humanity so much that you died, Father, for everyone. From Hitler to Mother Teresa, God, you died for all of us. Lord, my heart's desire is that we as a church would be a church, Lord, that is just not afraid and is just all about, Lord God, telling others about you. Oh, Lord, would you get a hold of us, Father? Would you help us to understand Romans 10 in just clarity, God, that it is confessing that we are messed up people, Lord, and it is believing that we are holding on for dear life to everything you did, Jesus, and that is it. And if we believe that, your word makes it clear, Lord, we are saved. That's it. That's the end of it, God. Well, actually, it's not, Lord. It's the beginning of a walk with you. <laughs> but, Lord, it's the end of, of, the, of the justification process. Lord, you, you accept us as we are, and you work us into a cleaner image of who you are through sanctification, God. Lord, help us. I pray that we would never, ever, ever, ever grow stagnant as a body of believers, Lord, in just desiring to see you made famous. And God, I don't know where each of us are. If there be anyone here that doesn't know you, God, I pray, Lord, that today they would desire to know you, that they would want to get on the ride, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that they would not walk out of here without grabbing a hold of the person next to them or coming up front or doing whatever they need to do, Lord, to get to know who you are. Lord, I pray, Father, for those that are here, Lord, that maybe they're just apathetic. Maybe, God, they're really more concerned about their 401k or the money they in the bank or whatever than they are about you. And, Lord, I pray, God, pray they would hear your message and learn from your word instead of waiting until you got to give them a pow-pow to get their attention. Because, God, money is just that. It can be all lit on fire and burned. It's temporary. And Lord, our stuff, every last bit of our stuff, up to and including our football teams and all the other things, Lord, that we hold on to and put value in, oh God, help us never to put them above you. Help us, Lord, to just, Lord, I pray, Lord, that every last thing, Lord, even up to and including, Lord God, our own families and all those things, Lord, would be a distant second to how much we desire to know and love you. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Great Bay Calvary Church in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our services or need prayer for something going on in your life, come connect with us at greatbaycalvary.com.